0: So for the last two weeks, we have uh, talked really about this passage. We began by uh, talking about what I called the playing field, which is really not a playing field, but it's a battlefield, and that which is going on all around us at all times as believers. We don't see it, but it is real. It is there. And then last week, we specifically talked about the enemy. And in doing so, we tried to uh, walk that line of being uh, conscious that if if people think too little of Satan in terms of forgetting about him or ignoring him and, and that type of thing, he loves that. Or if people get too obsessed with him and, and see a demon behind every bush and behind every action, he loves that too. And so we, we tried to stay within uh, the parameters of what the Scripture laid down and explained to us about his abilities but also about his limitations. And it's on the heels of that. Really, all all... Three of these sermons should have been one big sermon. I wouldn't have done that to you, though. But they, but they all fit together. One is necessary in order to understand the next, and so on. But when we talk about the limitations of the evil one, we realize the reason he's limited is because of God. Is because of Christ and Christ in us. And is because of what Paul explains in this passage. He says, be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, before we look at the actual pieces of armor, and I'm not going to do, although I know it's always effective when a pastor comes up and he's got pieces of armor and so on, and I'm not going to do that, okay? You're going to have to just... Picture it in your own mind. Uh, uh, you all know what, what they look like. Um, but there are a couple of issues that we, before we look at the actual pieces of armor, that we've got we've to uh, clear up, so to speak. When we talk about the armor, is it his armor or ours? Is it talking about his actions? or our actions? In other words, is it all on us to get the armor and put it on? Or is it all on him that he's already done all that? You say, I didn't even know that was an issue. Well, it it should be. Because we have spent uh, the last two weeks talking about the fact that Satan is stronger than us, but he's not stronger than Christ. So if someone were to imagine that this armor is something that I've got to put together, like the soldiers in Kuwait were doing, I've got to scrounge for, I've got to work it up at uh, you know, it, it depends on the shield, depends upon on me having enough faith. This depends upon my righteousness. If that's the case, and if Satan is stronger than us, then we're doomed. So is it about his actions or ours? Do we have a part in this? And so if asked the question, is it about his actions or ours, my answer would be yes. I don't think that just makes me wishy-washy. I really see this as one of those great passages that brings in the wonderful balance, that it's all about Christ. It's all about the power of God and yet we have a responsibility and they are both there and they both must be there. speaks about the whole armor, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil's uh, the devil. I told you about William Gernall. If you remember him, he wrote 1,500 pages on these 11 verses. This, this is one thing. He's, I'm, I filtered through all that just so you don't have to read it, okay? No, I, I didn't. But here's, here's one thing he, he said regarding God's armor. In heaven we shall appear not in armor but in robes of glory. But here, they, meaning the pieces of armor that are specified, are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we're not true soldiers of Christ. Now, where'd the idea come from of this armor? Clearly, from illustrations they would understand by looking at soldiers and so on. But we can't ignore what it says back in Isaiah 59, where it is talking about the Lord as the divine warrior. And here's here's what it says in verse 17 He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in seal as a cloak. He's the source for this armor. And then further, again, before we look at these, it talks about to stand against the schemes of the devil. If we cannot stand in our own strength, which is what I've told you for the last two weeks that Paul is saying, then that turns the whole interpretation of these next verses in, in one direction. The armor is what God has supplied. It's not about us conjuring up armor or putting it in place rightly. It has to be. It's in that place because God put it there. He forged it. He put it on us. He secured it. And because of that, the armor will not fail, and we will be able to stand. Now let's look at the various pieces of armor here. Uh, Verse 14 talks about the belt of truth. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the, the normal form of dress... Uh, for men in the ancient world, both for uh, Jews and the Romans, would be a long, flowing robe. Imagine going into battle with a long, flowing robe. That wouldn't work. You're running, of course, toward the enemy, but getting tangled up in your long, flowing robe. And so what they would do is that they would pull up The robe uh, up up above the knee, they would take uh, a belt and cinch it and cinch it tight so that they were then free to go in to battle. And he'd have this heavy belt uh, that pulled his robe up so that he could run and be agile within the battle. Now, first of all, in terms of significance here, The significance is what's first. And that's the truth. We know that Jesus said, I am the truth. What is this talking about here uh, in terms of this uh, belt of truth? Well, there's a couple of streams of of thought. One is uh, that it's the truth of the gospel. In other words, the precious doctrines of the faith. Remember, this is what will what we'll fight against, what will defeat the schemes of the devil. So you can think in that, that one way uh, the doctrines of the faith. Now, if that's the case, how well are you prepared for battle? What if you have a, a neighbor or a co worker or somebody in your school? that says to you, you know, you say something about your church, and they say, oh, what does your church believe? What are you going to say? Do you have the answers to that? What would you say to them, or would that be kind of mysterious to try to answer that? And then perhaps you, you finally come around and say, wait a minute, Every week we talk about the gospel. Okay, we believe in the gospel. And then they say to you, what's that? How ready would you be with the precious doctrines of the faith? How prepared are you in that area with those truths to say the gospel? Well, the gospel is because we are sinners and we're unable to save ourselves. And we can't work. We can't do things that make us good enough in order to be acceptable to God. We can try, but we will always fall short. Because we can never be perfect because we sin. But the gospel is the good news that addresses that bad news. The gospel is that Jesus Christ was good enough. He was perfect. He came and walked this earth and lived a perfect life. The life that, that I, I needed to live but I couldn't. And we all needed to live but we couldn't. And then, because he was perfect, he then went to the cross and paid with his life. Not for his own sin, because he didn't have any, but he paid for the sin of those who would believe in him. That's the gospel. And it's glorious. We've got to be prepared to speak that gospel and have that belt of truth that speaks the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's lost and dying that doesn't have a clue what the gospel is? Could you answer? And then the other stream of thought pertaining to this has to do with a a personal applied truth. In other words, a sincere heart. To put on this belt that is is true to who we are. The truth that is produced in an individual by the gospel. R.C. Sproul said, The person who's involved in spiritual warfare... But is weighted down with his own sinfulness is like someone trying to run through a battlefield with a robe around his ankles. See, that's that's where that truth, that life of integrity, because of what Christ has already done for us. It's the lives of believers that stand as the great testimony of the truth of the gospel. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, and so you're saying, I am a Christ follower, I am a Christian, then your life is testifying to the truth of the gospel, but it's testifying either that the gospel is true and powerful in our lives, or the gospel is weak and without power. In other words if it has no impact upon you even though you profess faith in Christ then you're testifying all right but you're testifying negatively against the gospel. So which of these two streams are the right one? Well, John Stott, who's uh, one of the commentators that I've enjoyed using in this series, says, perhaps we do not need to choose between these alternatives. I like that. Gernal, again, on this, basically said, whether it's truth of doctrine or truth of heart, sincerity, he said this, I think best that comprise both. One will not do without the other. So what what they are saying is this look, here is, here is the truth of the gospel that we speak and that we know and that we will defend us against the evil one. And here is the life of integrity and sincerity that flows out of that that testifies to the truth of the gospel. And both will cause us to resist the evil one. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of, of righteousness. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, the breastplate could have had numerous designs as I studied it through. Uh, some of them were solid. Some of them were chainmail, But the key of this uh, breastplate of righteousness is that it protects the vital organs, the heart, those organs, and it it went from the neck down to the top of the the thighs. Calvin believed that uh, Paul isn't really talking about the righteousness that Christ imputes to us, gives to us. Instead, he felt because it says we are to put on this righteousness that is uh, the blameless life. Now, I have to agree with him and disagree. I agree that, yes, it is about living out this this righteous life that will cause the, the devil to flee but the only way we can live the righteous life, and Calvin would have agreed with this, the only way we can live a righteous life is if, it's, if Christ is in us. And so that's where that righteousness flows out of. It's not because we all of a sudden get good when we become a Christian. We still have the same struggles. So we've got to utterly depend upon Christ in us to... Be obedient to have faith to do that which he calls us to do. Living with unconfessed sin does not prepare us for or enable us to engage successfully in spiritual warfare. We've got to deal with it. But we won't be righteous without the righteousness of Christ. And then he talks about uh, our shoes, the gospel of peace. Verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, imagine going into battle without shoes. Uh, I won't even walk out on the beach without shoes, you know. And, you know, you, you picture somebody walking on a burning up beach, and you know what it looks like, you know, the you know, tiptoeing around and so on. You, you couldn't possibly engage in a, in a battle when there's, you go out onto a battlefield and there's sharp things, there's weapons, there's all kinds of things that will cause you, all you can think about is, is your, your uh, feet that don't have shoes on. Them. And he says, look, you've got to have them. And especially, you know, up until the last century or two, it was all about the army moving the the army from here to there. It was all about foot soldiers. And so that's what he's referring to. My dad served in World War II and in Korea. And one of the problems in Korea was the severe climate. Uh, The areas were so damp that when the temperature lowered, Wet shoes froze. Next, the feet froze. Frostbite. So the soldiers not only had to worry about the, the weapons of the enemy, they had to worry about just the, the, the climate and, and surviving uh, uh, with inadequate clothing. Most think that Paul's emphasis in the readiness uh, is talking about the readiness to share the gospel. Over in Romans 10, it says this, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good News. It's not just talking about preachers, not just talking about missionaries. Now, in the ancient world, uh, it was difficult and sometimes dangerous to be a messenger because how you were received when you delivered the message depended on what message you were delivering. And if you were delivering bad news, You could either be punished, you could be killed if they wanted to. If you delivered good news, you were celebrated, and it was a good thing. So the the watchmen in uh, in the cities would often see a messenger coming toward the city. And, uh, you know, they would sometimes make a little game of, whether they were bringing good news or bad news. And they could tell. Those that were bringing bad news would be trudging along, not in a big hurry to get there to deliver the news, which might mean the end of their life. But those who had good news would be light on their feet, moving as quickly as they could, the dust flying because they were anxious to deliver that good news. And that's the idea here and in the Old Testament where this was quoted. And that is how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's what we've been given. The good news of the gospel. And sometimes I fear that we treat it like we are bringing bad news because we're worried how it will be received and we trudge along or we keep it to ourselves. And yet, Paul indicates that that is a part of that which defeats the evil one. And that is this good news as it's shared. Then he talks about the shield of faith, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, that would not be... You you might think of, because we've all seen these on TV, the gladiator with the little round shield. Uh, That's not what it's talking about here. This would be one of the the huge... uh, shields that would be like two to three feet wide and some of them were six, some even longer uh, tall. That kind of a shield. And it was the kind of shield where when they were approaching a a fortress or the enemy where they would all get together and form a, a phalanx. And that's where you know they would put their shields next to each other, and if they, if if there were the enemy was above them, they would put it ab- above them as well. They would overlap so that nothing could get through or penetrate, and they could move along together and be safe inside of that. That's the kind of uh, shield that he's talking about here. And then it talks about uh, with with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Fiery arrows were the most feared because they'd catch clothing, hair, skin on fire. cause great suffering before it caused death. That's why wooden shields weren't that great. And so it says that, look, the shield, the shield of faith that that God is giving to us that we must have is that which ultimately protects us. And then it talks about the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The, The helmet obviously it protects from the fatal blow from the head blow. It protects the brain, protects the mind. Oswald Chambers said, as long as the devil can keep us terrified of thinking, he will always limit the work of God in our souls. And so here is that helmet, which is of the gospel itself, of salvation. Now notice the last phrase there everything so far, have been de- defensive pieces of armor. And then it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we're going to spend all next week talking about that because that, that, that is the, uh, the weapon, the one weapon that is talked about here. So it says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. New York Times uh, had an article that talked, uh, interviewed an army neurosurgeon, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Poffenbarger, and he had treated a number of injured uh, soldiers, and he was talking specifically about uh, uh, a sergeant that was one of his patients. He said this 24-year-old, Ranger in Iraq, only two months, came home blind. He said one small piece of metal changed his life. And then he went on to explain. He said there, there is a little area between where the helmet ends and the body armor starts. And we're seeing a lot of guys getting hit right there. Now, obviously, what that means is they're getting hit in other places as well, but, but it's getting through there. And as I read that, thought about our armor. Paul is very clear. We've got to put it all on. And we must assume that because God designed it for us, If we do that, we will be protected. There will not be those gaps where the evil one can send a a heat seeking arrow to penetrate. But we can't piecemeal our armor, or we'll be vulnerable. So we need Christ. And we need all of him. It's the whole armor. We need Jesus who throughout his life did not wear armor, but had all of that armor perfectly on him. And then went to the cross. And there suffered for us. We need Jesus as Lord and Savior. We need Jesus as friend and brother. We need Jesus as protector and defender. And we need him as comforter and peacemaker. And if we have all of Jesus, by faith, trusting in Him alone for our eternal life. Then we may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all, to stand. Let's bow together. So, Lord, we thank you that if we are your people, that you have clothed us with this armor, you put it on perfectly, you designed it perfectly so that the evil one cannot, cannot even hurt us. But, Lord, will you help us to completely come to you Admitting our need for Jesus, for all of Jesus, not just for the useful parts we can think of, but as Lord and Savior and friend and brother and protector and defender and comforter and peacemaker, that we may be able to stand firm when we're under attack. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.